out whenever we talk about the history of nuclear weaponry that they have only been used twice and both were used by the US. So the United States is the only country in the world that has ever actually used nuclear weapons. When the bombs were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, really the threat of nuclear war had existed between the US and the Soviet Union and post World War II other countries began developing and stockpiling nuclear arms because like shit, the US was clearly not fucking around. So during the Cold War, the UK, France, and China definitely developed a nuclear program, and by the 1990s, early 2000s, India, Pakistan, Israel, and North Korea were all also believed to have been building and stockpiling them. Of course, the governments of most of these countries won't actually admit or deny that they have them, and that's really a military strategy. A military strategy that the US can no longer use because we played our hand like almost 100 years ago. After the breakdown of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s, the threat of real full-scale nuclear warfare seemed less imminent. But as US relations with other nations has declined, particularly right now with North Korea, it's become a topic of conversation and concern once again. More so than before because of technological advancements, but also because if Donald Trump in his instability decides to initiate a nuclear attack, there is literally no one who can stop him. There are, however, if you can believe it, degrees of nuclear warfare, limited and full scale. And so full scale you can probably imagine, but limited or an exchange would probably be the starting point. And this would be somewhat similar to what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The US would target a relatively small specific area, most likely a military base, as an offensive or preemptive attack. Now it's been heavily debated, probably most famously by Henry Kissinger, whether limited nuclear warfare is even possible without escalation. So during the Cold War, it was argued that the US and the Soviet Union could engage in small-scale nuclear attacks without it becoming World War III. Even then, with relatively small-scale attacks, the damage and casualties were not insignificant. But the devastation depends, of course, on many factors. Where and when the weapon is used, what type it is, how powerful it is, and whether or not it detonates in the air or on the ground. So for those at the receiving end, the major threat is thermal radiation, which accounts for roughly 35% of a nuclear bomb's power. The first thing that happens is an enormous flash of light that precedes the heat and the force of the blast. And this causes flash blindness. And so if you're temporarily rendered unable to see, then within like somewhere between 10 to 50 miles of the blast, depending on the time of day and the level of visibility, there's going to be mass panic. And so by the time the rest of the blast and the heat reaches people, they're going to be vulnerable to burns from that radiation, the severity of which would correlate to how close they are to the origin of the blast. So if a person's body is burned just 24% at third degree burns, that would be like one arm and a leg. That's enough to be fatal without prompt medical care. If you are very close to the blast, within just a few kilometers, there really isn't going to be enough time for you to even comprehend what's happened because 
at the epicenter, the heat is 300 times hotter than the temperature that bodies are cremated at. So you would actually immediately be vaporized. So the other effect besides heat is the force of the blast, which is very intense and very sudden. And it actually causes a rapid change in air pressure that basically blasts windows out of houses, not to mention the wind that comes with it. Now, you can believe it, the human body can withstand this degree of pressure, but the wind that comes after is at such a high speed and force that it would literally like pick up cars and buildings and be slamming into people. And so really at that point, what the danger would be for people is you would be shocked and disoriented and probably unable to see, and you would be extremely vulnerable to being crushed to death by something. So then the question is, well, what if you survive the blast? I mean, like if you live in a fairly rural part of the world, there's a good chance that you would probably survive. And so first of all, the biggest thing is radiation. The radiation will probably kill you. If not very soon, then definitely eventually. So theoretically, the aftermath of a nuclear holocaust would be desolation. Many regions would remain radioactive and therefore uninhabitable for many, many years. And the prospect of a nuclear winter, which is severe and prolonged climate change that's been hypothesized after widespread firestorms that would be caused by nuclear weapons, uh, has led some to foresee the end of human civilization, although the modeling of this outcome has been heavily disputed. So many have argued that what would really end society wouldn't necessarily be the weapon itself, but the environmental and societal breakdown that would come after. So as of 2016, it's been estimated that there are around 15,000 nuclear weapons in the world of varying degrees of power and in various locations. Well, how big would these weapons actually be? How powerful would they be? The bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki were actually pretty tiny compared to what we know have been developed. So the Soviet Union tested a 50 megaton bomb on a remote island, which would have been equal to over 3,000 bombs that were the size of the one dropped on Hiroshima. So in terms of the reach and damage, it could absolutely be massive. A full-scale nuclear holocaust may not be the most likely scenario, but smaller attacks would not be meaningless. Millions of people would perish, and it would have lasting effects that would ripple across the world, both in terms of foreign relations and society and environment. If the US and North Korea, two of the most heavily armed and therefore fully capable of a full-scale nuclear attack, were to engage, we would likely find ourselves in what military strategists refer to as mutually assured destruction, which also describes basically every relationship I have ever been in. So mutually assured destruction is basically this. If the US attacks North Korea or vice versa and and there's a response, the power that these respective nuclear arsenals have and the governments of these countries' willingness to use them means that both countries would more than likely be completely annihilated. So what this basically means is that neither country should engage because they know that if one does, the other will respond and escalate, and there is absolutely no way that either country would ever win. There would be no winner. So the idea behind mutually assured destruction is that that is what should keep it from happening at all. We know it's possible on both ends, but we also know that if it starts, the end will be the end. It would be like sacrificial on the part of the country who starts it. It would be doing it for nothing because everybody would die. So I think the question right now is, do the leaders understand this concept? And if they do understand it, do they care?